This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, providing the business management and technology expertise your church needs. Find out more at auxilio.partners slash five points. You're listening to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. On the pod today, John is joined by Matt Bowler for a talk on the importance of coaching and mentoring in the life of a pastor. So here we go. All right. Well, today I am a kind of a lone ranger. Hunter is not with us, but I do have a special guest. Uh, Matt Bowling is the founder and director of Flourish Coaching. Uh, he and I have met through a number of venues. Uh, thanks for being with us today, Matt. Glad to be on. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, where you came from, uh, what you've done in terms of your life and ministry, and uh, maybe how Flourish Coaching came about. Sure. So I grew up uh, in upstate New York in an unbelieving family. I had lots of Christian friends who thoughtfully evangelized me over a period of years, mm. hours and hours of conversation, Okay. Uh, for which I'm very, very grateful. Um, it's one of the reasons why I teach relational evangelism now because I'm the product of it. And yeah. so um, anyways, so um, I did not come to Christ while I lived in New York, but after I went to college, I went to Coastal Carolina and came to Christ uh, alone by myself in my dorm room about six weeks into college. Okay. The, the penny dropped and uh, the Lord convinced me I was a sinner. And that was the last piece that needed to be to come into place. And um, so uh, about six months later, started reading the Bible, got devotions to my friends in New York. About six months later, um, one of my professors was walking across the quad, and he, um, which was unusual because we were pretty far from the academic buildings at the dorms. And um, so I him and I said, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I I'm, I'm, was hoping to show this, this uh, little booklet with somebody. And he pulled out of Four Spiritual Laws. <laughs> right. So this is, you know, era 1989, right? Okay. And uh, so he says, so we sit down on a bench and, and he shares the four laws with me. He says, what do you think? And I said, uh, well, I, I, I just became a Christian like six months ago. He goes, really? So catch this. Um, so this guy's one of my professors. He is the brand new faculty advisor for the crew chapter on my campus. And he's an elder in a PCA church. Okay. And in that one interaction, the next 20 years of my life was mapped out. <laughs> because oh, you're dead serious i'm friends with this guy still actually yeah. um 30 years since or 32 years since anyways and um uh so i got involved with crew i was a student leader i was a missionary with crew while i was a missionary with crew i met my wife she mm. was a missionary with crew yep. we ended up getting married and instead of continuing with crew we ended up going to seminary mm-hmm. and um one of my most formative um uh, we now slow down the recording for a story. Um, one of my most formative experiences was while I was a crew missionary, I worked at headquarters in Orlando, which is ironically where I'm going today. Um, and I, um, I, all of the church, all the reformed churches were far away from where I lived, which is down by the airport. So I walked into an evangelical free church um, and um, because it was nearby and I was just visiting churches and I walked in five weeks after the church planter arrived mm. and he had a crew background and he was a new pastor and he grabbed a hold of me and he was so formative in my life. That experience was so formative. It's the only time I've spent outside of PCA literally, yep. but it, but that um, 
that experience was so formative. He was the one who encouraged me towards teaching and leadership. And anyways, it was super, super fun. Um, and uh, so I went to seminary and then um, uh, worked at a, on staff of a church in California for a time and then pastored in Western Pennsylvania okay. uh, for about six years outside Pittsburgh and then moved to Seattle uh, 13 years ago um, and to pastor a church out here. Um, and it was in the midst of pastoring the church out here that my life changed once again. I told you the professor was 20 year trajectory. So this was the next event was uh, April 9th of 2011. My life changed. I had no idea my life was going to change. And interestingly for another intersection with your podcast, it was about church planting. Sure. But in this case um, I was presenting to our leadership team, a proposal to, fund our church planting network. It, nominal. We had the money. It was very little money. It was just get started, right? Yep. So I make this proposal to my leadership team and everybody just kind of puts their heads down and looking at the table and nobody will look at me. <laughs> it was like dead silence. And it was really, I was like, uh, somebody tell me what's going on. And um, it turned out that our church had been an old church that had been declining for a period of years. And uh, our presbytery never helped us. And the guys were pretty hurt about that. Mm. And that day my life changed again because I realized that not only what I had done in churches, renewal work in churches, um, uh, the whole uh, ecosystem that I live in, in the PCA, um, it was just like that. There was actually a, a negative regard for renewal work and merely a positive regard for planting. This eventually leads to the to the starting of Flourish because Flourish oh, five years four years after that starts because uh, the three of us who started it together wanted to have an organization that valued um, planting and renewal side by side equally mm -hmm. valuable because they're both near and dear to the heart of God and so and go ahead no that's good I was gonna say uh, tell us yeah the, the specifics of Flourish what are the those two tracks, how do you help with those things? Yeah, how does that come about? Yeah, so I think that um, a lot of emphasis has been put on church planting, which is extraordinarily good, very important. Um, and actually even um, assessment for planting and placement and coaching yep. and that whole ecosystem developed, um, but it was never developed for renewal in a similar way. Sure. And so some of the things that Flourish is passionate about um, is certainly walking alongside planters and replanters, um, but also uh, that we can walk alongside uh, renewal pastors, help them assess themselves. We have a developmental assessment and to help them um, like understand where they are and how they can make progress to be more effective. Sure. Um, and, and so we come alongside churches with um, church health assessment. We help churches gain vision in the middle of their life cycle. We help them learn strategic planning. Um, it's interesting. Whenever I'm in an audience that has church planters, um, but I'm mostly <laughs> speaking to renewal pastors. The most interesting thing happens, which is that the church planners go, thank you. You've warned me against a mistake I've begun to make. Mm. And, and you kept me sort of sharp in terms of the dynamics of um, church planning is hard. It's church on, and one guy's described it as, as incline. And the thing about incline is you're pushing a rock uphill every day. Yep. The motto is, this is hard. <laughs> it's sacrificial. There's things in dynamic tension. It's just difficult. And so the coaching that we give to, as we think about church planners is helping them be willing to continue to do something that is really hard and to stick with it and to not give up 
uh, on their principles. Yeah. Why don't you, uh, you use the word incline. I went through a Ken Pretty revitalization once. And so was familiar with the life cycle of the church. Uh, why don't you explain that? Um, Cause I sure. think that's helpful as you think about the differences between planting and maybe. Can, can I ask you renewal. where that was? That's crazy. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that off the air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do want to hear about that though. Okay. okay so pretty um, just because it works lyrically um, described the three rough phases of church as incline, recline and decline. Yeah. He describes incline um some people mistake it as merely about numbers, but that's not really it, that mm. it's growing ministry capacity and it's a certain dynamic. I'm going to do this with a church plants leadership <laughs> team on Saturday night in Lakeland, yep. Florida, this exact thing. It's more about a dynamic and a growing ministry capacity in particular. It's keeping intention, the inward pull towards fellowship and discipleship, as well as the outward push towards outreach and evangelism. Mm -hmm. And when those are kept in dynamic tension, we're within that biblical, we're within the biblical model, right? But it's very, very easy because the motto of incline is this is hard, sure. <laughs> right? It's very easy to slip into recline. In, in fact, you and I both have seen churches that functionally have been planted on recline, not an incline. Mm. They're not there for new people to come to Christ. They're there because there was a bunch of Christians that wanted a new church in another place, and it was never about the community and people that didn't know Jesus. Um, and so recline, the the uh, the motto of recline, and it's and it's the dangerous motto for church planters is we made it. Yeah, and you're always pulled to that. I mean, you talk about hard work, you know, whether you're revitalizing or planting, right? You're you've been trying to get to some sort of sustainability and so once you get there you want to put your feet up right that's the idea of recline <laughs> uh, exactly right yeah, i'm gonna recline yeah. right in my kitchen this is yeah, it. i'm putting my feet up on my desk right now it's really <laughs> nice right yeah. yeah we all want to do that and i think part of that too is that the hidden idol for most americans including american pastors is comfort yeah instead of instead of sacrifice mm. so we're really looking for it to become more comfortable um so recline happens when we, you know, we've made it, we have enough people and money and we got a stable worship facility and we have stable programmatic ministries. We can pull this off now. And, and we, we don't keep in dynamic tension, particularly that pull um, inward towards us and keeping a dynamic tension with that push outward towards them, those who don't get no Christ. Mm. Um, and that as recline happens, it's, it's kind of sneaky because Recline feels good. The yeah. church works. We've got enough money. We have enough staff. There's programs for my kids. And, you know, I could even be growing. But but Jesus scorecard is uh, you got, you know, I think I've said you got four out of five. But I'm a little upset about the fifth one. Upset enough that I'll take this whole thing away if you don't repent of it. Which mm -hmm. is why as recline gets ages, um that pull inward gets worse and worse until there's no flow from the outside and you start declining. Um, yeah. And, it's uh, almost uh, the excitement of getting to a state where you can be in recline keeps you afloat for a while. Right. And yes. then, and then everyone starts to get a little older or, you know, people start to move away and, and there's not the continual influx of new ministry, new energy, right? New ideas, new vision or whatever uh, in terms of reaching the community. And uh, yeah, interesting. Yep. Yeah. And you, and you lose it. 
Um, we just did some uh, envisioning with the church this past weekend, um, and I'm writing a proposal for another church right now. And um, I was talking about vision implementation, and I said, vision implementation starts as soon as you roll it out until the five-year mark where you renew vision. And that would help a lot of church plants if they just planned that that's the way it was going to be, right? Yeah. So um, you, you mentioned a five-year plan. I, I once talked to a pastor. He wasn't in our our world, but he uh, he had been at a church for uh, 25 or 30 years, I think. And, and I just kind of asked him a little bit about that. And he said something along the lines of basically every 10 years, you kind of have to reinvent yourself as a pastor in that your church has changed completely. Uh, the people who are there is different. The moment in time is different. And so it's almost like you have to you're signing up for a new job every 10 years and you kind of have to uh, fit yourself into it and, and assess where, where things are at. Is that something that uh, resonates with your experience? Absolutely. I commonly find myself in coaching conversations with um, planters or renewal pastors or medium-sized church pastors, large church pastors, doesn't really matter. I find myself in conversations where I'm kind of like, you know, this is the moment where you have to decide either to transition or re-up, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, my wife's father was a Navy, um, commander. And in order to do that, you have to re-up several times, even as an officer. Right. And it's kind of a gut check to yeah. re-up and know I'm committing myself to blah, another, at least five years. Right. Cause that's what it's going to take to revision and walk it out. And it's a big gut check to say, I'm going to re-up, um, yeah. And might have to get shipped overseas. (laughs) Yeah, you might get shipped overseas. Yeah, and you you might run into COVID, right? You know, whatever. You know, and so yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, I would imagine uh, with your renewal world, you're probably getting a lot of people reaching out to you in the decline phase, right? The church has dwindled in some way. There's been some evidence that the there's some help needed. Um, Now you talked about. Flourish coming alongside and doing some of that. What you could just give us a quick overview of your process, but then I really want to get us into like, what is a coach and, uh, and how does that look different maybe in a planting and then in a revitalization kind of world? Sure. So, sure. So typically the first thing that we do when a church approaches us is uh, we do what we call a church health assessment. Um, John's actually on a provisional session of a church that we did a church health assessment for. And that's really just trying to compare a church to the scorecard that's obvious in the scriptures as to what a healthy church looks like. And the attempt is to try and get the church leadership to face reality. Mm. Uh, so we hold up the mirror, we ask questions, people give answers, we tell them what they told, what they said about themselves, and then yep. give them some recommendations. And that's typically our first step. And then it sort of branches from there, right? It could be that the church um, just uh, simply needs a coach to walk alongside the pastor. And so we'll coach the pastor. It could be the church uh, shows that it doesn't have any direction and that's its main issue. And we'll help them. Uh, we call it envisioning, right? Uh, find a direction in the middle of their life cycle. Sure. It could be that they're actually doing okay, um, but they, they can't seem to um, get ministry moving forward. So we'll help them with something say like strategic annual strategic planning. Um, so that's a couple of different ways that we that we tend to come alongside churches. Uh, we do that with plants too, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think about that, you know, if you have a typical church planter, they probably have a particular set of gifts, right? And they can get a church to a certain point, but then, you know, maybe they're not organizationally minded to take an established church to whatever the next thing is. Uh, and so um, yeah, that's a changing dynamic always in the church or, or a church that's been there for so long and 
you know, is kind of thinking about the future, even the gifts of the pastor or the congregation's history, I imagine, plays a big role in that. It does, actually. One of the interesting sort of niches of coaching that we've ended up doing through time is actually planters that have grown a good-sized church, but the uh, the organization and the leadership um, dynamics that are needed to lead it mm-hmm. is not what helped them get there. I've got yep. some book on my shelf back here that what, what got you here won't get you there, <laughs> right? It's and name. it's actually insightful. Yeah, yeah. because you can be, a, 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 most planters are very organic, so they work the organism really well. But churches are both organism and organization. And so the structural aspect, the systems, processes, sometimes that's not as strong. And we end up coming alongside, you know, pastors of, you know, um, medium-sized churches and just trying to help them figure out how do I do this? Do I want to do this? Do I want to keep doing this? Because it is, it's a different, uh, it's a different mindset. It's a different uh, lifestyle, a different schedule, a different, um, different requirements. And you got to decide if you want to do that or not. So, uh, why don't you give us a pitch on why someone needs a coach, uh, say I'm a church planter listening, or maybe I'm a pastor of an established church. Uh, what does a coach do? Sure. So maybe you've heard it said that everybody, every disciple needs a Paul, a Barnabas and a Timothy. Hmm. You heard that before? Uh, not in that way, but, uh, Certainly, yeah. You see where I'm going? Yep. So you need a Paul who's um, who's a, ahead of you, right? And who can speak into um, into your life and, and bring you forward. You need uh, Barnabas who's who's next to you yep. as an encourager. Um, and you need people you're building into. Most of us as pastors, um, we spend a lot of time with Timothys. We build into lots of other people. But there's no one who continues to build into us. You would be shocked when we do our assessments of pastors, how many pastors have no, who note themselves, I've had no intentional mentoring, maybe not their entire life. Mm. So you have people trying to disciple who've never been discipled, who aren't being discipled. And it's, it's a travesty because it's not Jesus' plan. It's not, it's not the world that he called us into, right? Um, one of our founders is now with the Lord. Um, but he used to say, uh, he used somebody to say, well, who needs a coach? And he'd say, everyone needs a coach. And the reason is we all have needs for our sanctification. We all have needs for people to walk alongside of us and help us grow in our gifts and to, to crucify our sins um, and to see our blind spots and to have a safe place to vent and to strategize. And I can't think of a pastor that couldn't make use of a coach. Um, coaching forward to that was that enough of the general yeah. or do you have more? No, you that's good. I, I, I've been thinking about the, that whole reality. I was going to say you're speaking my love language there uh, in terms of not having that <laughs> intentional um, discipleship. You kind of have mentors in your life, but you know, the way everything is structured in the church is everybody's just super busy with their own um, things. And so you know, we have organizational structures in place that are good and helpful. We have assessment centers, we have oversight committees, all these kind of things. But uh, the it seems to me that the real need of the hour is kind of a life-on-life discipleship of bringing men up into the ministry. Even you know, yet men through through seminary, you go live in any seminary town. Every church has twenty interns, and everybody gets five minutes with the pastor. You know, it's a uh, there's not. Um, an abundance of wise old pastors um, 
just giving themselves to, to the, uh, the next generation because they can't, they don't have the time. Uh, they're, they're got a full plate. And so, yeah, that's certainly seems like the, uh, the void you all are filling. Yeah, it is. And it, it's a great privilege to, 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 I tell people I, I get to live the life that I do because um, I did have some very good mentors along the way who mm-hmm. built into me. Um, I've been coaching since I was in my teens in various kinds of ways and, and differences. And uh, I get to do what I was made to do. And it's a blast. Um, it's different than church ministry, what I do. Um, yep. but, but it fosters church ministry. And it, it fosters the health of pastors, the longevity of pastors, the equipping of pastors, the discipling of pastors. That's mm-hmm. really the way that we envision um, coaching uh, yeah. is like that. Yeah. So we need to coach. <laughs> Everybody does. Now, especially, um, especially church planters. Um, you know, I haven't met a pastor who didn't say to me, well, I really wish I could have a coach or I could afford a coach or whatever. Um, I've not met somebody like that. Yep. Because I think this is a great yearning for us. Uh, mostly men will probably listen to this podcast. Um, so just have somebody speak um, blessing and encouragement over us. We get so little of it in the ministry. And um, we just yearn appropriately for that. To hear the words of the Father that he speaks over Jesus to be spoken over us. And there's almost never will that happen. Not from your elders. Sometimes from your spouse. <laughs> sure. Rarely from your children. Um, and and rarely from church people, right? It's just not, nobody does that. And it's the great need. I'm going to preach on this on Sunday if you can't tell. It's the great need. <laughs> it's the great need. Um and it's the privilege that we get to do. Now, why especially church planters? Why did coaching uh, as a, a churchy thing come into being, say, probably in the early 80s? Coaching came into being in a church setting, primarily around church planters. I think it's recognized that church planting uh, is an abundantly difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people realized, hey, if you've got the raw gifts and graces to church plant, you're still doing a process you've likely never done before, yep. moving to a place you've never lived before, and trying to engage with people that are inherently unpredictable. And just having a guide, a friend, a mentor, discipler along the way just seems wise. Okay. Yep. Um, and so that's why it came in first, I think, through the church planting avenue. I think it's now becoming more recognized um, that um, church renewal is also a really difficult thing. And it itself has a process to it, right? Um, sure. And comes with its own challenges and interpersonal, inner within the pastor, within the setting, within the culture, m- many of the same issues, except you inherit issues along the way where the church puncher just gets to make his own. <laughs> you make your own problems, John. Yeah, but hopefully the coach helps us avoid some of those pitfalls, like you said. Yeah, right. I think one of the most fun things you get to do is help people not make mistakes that you made. Yep. Um, you, you ever hear, hear uh, Niels Bohr's definition of an expert? Do you, have you heard this no. quote before? Niels Bohr, uh, turn of the century, 20th century physicist, got a law named after him, the whole deal, right? Okay, yeah. famous physicist, was once asked, what's an expert? And he says, here's, here's what an expert is. An expert is a person who has made all the mistakes possible within a very narrow field. <laughs> sure. How's that? Right. And I think that's that's what a coach does is it's not somebody who's like, you know, uber smart or they know your process better than you do or whatever. They're a grace, a gospel humble person 
who will walk alongside of you and help you not make some of the same mistakes that they made. So would you say that every coaching relationship is different, that each uh, pastor is going to need something maybe different or that you have a pretty consistent structure that you try to give to people who are reaching out to find a coach? The coaching that we do is we call it three facet. You can read about it on our website. We can give people a download if they want to look at it when they, you know, sure. in the show notes or whatever. But um, the, the way we go about coaching each person is the same. The coaching that the person desires is different every time. Mm. So we, when we uh, engage in a coaching relationship with somebody, we ask them with um, in conjunction with whatever their leadership body is to develop five things five areas that we're working on over the course of a contract year. Hmm. Um, and so those serve as the themes, the, meg the meta themes yep. that we're working on, because what we promise when a person hires a coach is that what we say to a, to a leadership board, typically in Presbyterian circles and sessions, we say, you give us a year, we'll give you back a more effective pastor. That's pretty gutsy to say sure. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, <clears throat> well, is there a guarantee on that promise? You know? Um, and what we like to say is that if the if the areas are picked with intentionality and with some dialogue on a couple of them with the leadership board, because they can commonly see areas where the pastor could and should and needs to grow. Yeah. The pastor knows some ways. Um, and, he, and we insist that one of those five be something that's personal that can be only between the coach and, and the, the pastor is being coached because he may not have a place to talk about uh, where he goes. That's not Jesus and sure. everybody needs that opportunity. So every relationship is different. The coaching methodology is similar, but what's gone after in that relationship uh, is different. Hmm. Maybe uh, it would be helpful for some of our listeners to hear common uh, categories maybe that would fall into those five. What are the repeated sure. themes maybe that come up? Yeah, there's probably 10 or 15 that are repeated themes, but I'll give you some that come over the top of, off the top of my head. Um, leading meetings better, Mm. Um, uh, time management, getting things done. Okay. Right. Um, uh, getting out, leaving enough time to do more, um, projecty type things instead of just getting caught in the seven day cycle and the tyranny of it and yep. allowing people demands to keep you from doing things that are better for the long-term health of the, of the congregation. Right. Okay. Um, we commonly get asked help with evangelism yep. and that's whether it's a renewal pastor or a church planner. Yeah. Um, and so that's something we're passionate about. We have a whole evangelism seminar that we do and, and with congregations and we commonly coach guys in that um, how to carve back out time again, because it just gets sucked out no matter what kind of pastor you are, it gets sucked out. Um, I think um, conflict management, right? Like learning how to engage conflict. Well, um, uh, a matism um, is that church renewal um, is more than, but not less than, a series of staged conflicts. Church renewal is more than, but not less than, a series of staged conflicts. So you're um, you're coming in, in and ways, forcing some conflicts. Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It happens yeah. in church planning too. Yep. It's interesting that within the top proficiencies that are needed. Uh, for church plants are in our circles. One of them is called managerial courage. Mm. Um, and as the church develops over time, that bumps higher and higher on the list mm. of how much that skill needs to be developed and needed. 
Um, and many times we end up in a, a, into a coaching relationship with a pastor because he's in some form of, some form of crisis because he has not um, exerted managerial courage in the way he manages his ministry or his volunteers or his, um, his, his elders or his ministry or his staff, or it doesn't matter who it is. Yep. And we're there to try and help forge a way forward. Um, and so uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of you know, guys that I'm coaching right now and, and the different sorts of things that we're looking at. Um, sometimes we're asked to, to help um, just from the outside with super structural things like um, bylaws or um, sure. handbook, job descriptions, right? Uh, employee processes, right? Um, yeah. We help pastors look churches look for pastors even. So we're very familiar with that kind of uh, hiring, you know, approach. So many times that's been asked to help with, with firing somebody too, <laughs> which is delicate, right? Yeah. Right. It's very, very delicate. So anyways, there's a panoply for you. No, I um, mean, I think that's helpful for people to hear because, uh, you know, somebody might be listening and think, uh, I could see how a coach would be helpful, but then to have those specific things and go, oh yeah, yeah, I need help with that <laughs> is can be with the catalyst to say, oh, there's people that this is their job to, to come alongside pastors and churches and help navigate some of this. I, think, I find that coaching runs in themes. It's odd. I'm not sure how to read that in God's providence. And sometimes it's like a week will have a theme that's very common. Mm. Um, and other times, um, you know, kind of a year will be common. Um, it's pretty common for us to um, uncover, not as one of those top five, um, but that that one of the issues that pastor is actually dealing with is something we call emotional budgeting. In particular, um, they carry a lot of unresolved grief hmm. and that, that they don't have the emotional energy to engage what they want to engage because they, they've, a, I call grief, a debt on their emotional budget. And um, nobody like comes in and says, my emotional budget's out of whack, but we tend to uncover that over time. And it's because there's this big thing you're supposed to move towards and you just can never find the energy or the time to do it. And you're kind of like, well, how did you, how, how, how you know, we planned all this stuff and it didn't have what, what's going on? Kind of like, well, you know, and when you uncover it, you realize that actually there's plenty of gifts and capability and everything to do that. What there isn't is the emotional energy. And that's where you actually end up coaching is over here. It's an interesting tweak. Um, the other one's preaching. Yeah, sure. Is, um, and, and not usually like, is my preaching good or bad? Um, but is, um, occasionally I'll be asked for, for feedback on preaching, but, um, but, um, it's, it's stressful. It's chewing up too much of my time. Hmm. I obsess over it. Um, I can't put it down. Um, I don't get to it. I procrastinate. Stress is my week. I lose my Sabbath because it's undone. My yep. wife's pissed at me. And um, I know this is never happening in your family, John. But <laughs> but it, but that whole dynamic, that's like the last year. That's a recurring one that's, that's interesting to me. And I'm not sure if that's COVID, that it takes a lot of emotional um, bandwidth to prepare sermons. It's taken a lot of emotional bandwidth to deal with COVID. Yeah. And maybe that extra bandwidth has stolen it over here and made it more stressful yeah well even i remember when covid first hit it was like i had to everything we had been doing went out the window I had to figure it all out anew so i imagine <laughs> just all of that and now even coming out of it um you're kind of rethinking through everything and so yeah thing other things that you need to focus on like preaching get 
uh, maybe neglected until the last minute. So that, that makes sense. One that's timely now is change management. That's a lot of times sure. we'll, you know, how do we um, help us start something or stop something thoughtfully, right? And that's the, that's the burning question coming out of COVID is, um, will you just automatically start everything back up again that you had before? Or will you, will you consider everything that's not essential in Jesus' eyes, which is marvelously few things are actually required biblically in a local church setting, right? Sure. Marvelously few. We make many, many choices and churches accrete choices and they feel obligated to fulfill them. And that there is the opportunity, should you take it, <laughs> there is the opportunity to rechoose um, and to feel no shame in that. Because if Jesus is enough, that Jesus is like, well, you could have a Sunday school or you could not have a Sunday school. It doesn't really bug me. I am interested in the development, the discipleship development of adults and children. But that that means that doesn't matter to me. Yeah, no, that's good. That's an interesting way to think of the opportunity and, you know, reemerging in some of those things, uh, even to take the time to evaluate it as, as a pastor, as a session of elders or whatever and say, what's the first thing we're going to do? What's the most important thing we can do? Um, yeah, no, that's good. Okay. Well, be, we're running out of time here, but uh, why don't you give us just a little snapshot of what a coaching relationship might look like? How often are you meeting? How long does that last? Uh, you mentioned a one-year kind of plan and uh, give us a little bit of a picture into that. So in, unless it's like a, a short-term, uh, something like strategic planning or envisioning where we're not really coaching the pastor over a long time scale, we'll write shorter contracts for things like that that are maybe in the six-month time frame. Um, but coaching, what we tend to find is that it takes a year to really get some traction. And so we, t- we mm-hmm. resistant to write less than a year. Yep. Um, and the frequency that the coach and the, the one being coached meet um, is kind of up to them. Uh, there's a guaranteed minimum number of hours in our contracts, but we, we always exceed that. Sometimes we double it. Yep. I, it always, we always um, uh, do a site visit, which is one of the most fun things. I'm doing one of these this weekend. Um, and we'll go on site to the place where uh, the pastor ministers and see the place, usually visit a worship service. Um, I insist on getting the guy and his wife uh, out to dinner alone. I like to step inside of his house yep. and see his kids and see how he relates to his kids. Because that tells me that tells me a lot, right? If I can do that, and so that's part of the coaching relationship um, is to do that. And so the frequency of meeting, um, some the, the least frequent that you want to meet um, is once a month, and that's mm-hmm. typically ends up at an hour and a half or two hours. Okay. Um, some guys like that; they kind of load up their stuff and they'll text or email if they've got something that's in the middle or DM or whatever. But um, but there are the guys that that um, the most I've had somebody do is twice a month. Um, and that was just for him, ADD, want a shorter term goals. Okay, let's make an assignment. Let's get it done in two weeks. Let's do it again, right? You know, when you're doing more of an every two week cycle and that was what what yep. uh, he preferred, that was fine. Yeah, and so this, uh, I could say that's probably the second most common sort of feature. I've not had anybody pick weekly yet, uh, which could be challenging when you're traveling and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, yeah, so yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. No, that's good. Okay. I, uh, you know, and I think it's in flux. You said, you know, you always kind of go over the hours. Uh, I have a coach and uh, I think I forget. We try to do every other week or at least once a month. But uh, when things get crazy, I'm texting him every day, <laughs> you know, in some ways, you know, it's just uh, and other times it's not it's not quite as a burden, I don't think. But, uh, you know, we're always kind of adjusting in terms of the need of the hour, if you will. 
Well, thanks for being with us, Matt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how somebody can learn more about Flourish? Tell us about your podcast that you guys host, and and uh, we'll yeah. end with that. Our our podcast is on a little bit of a hiatus. I'm sad to say. Okay. Our podcast host has moved on, and so we got to figure out how to how to revive it. But we do have a library of podcasts that many many people have found valuable through time, and so uh, those are there for you. And um, you can reach uh, everything about us at flourishcoaching.org. You can contact us there. You can reach out to me at matt at flourishcoaching.org. Uh, you can go on the website and read um, about our coaching philosophy and the different things that we offer. And uh, we'd love to chat with you. Awesome. That sounds great. I encourage you to check them out. Matt, Matt and his uh, team have been super helpful to uh, our work as we're doing a revitalization in our own presbytery. So uh, I recommend him from my own personal experience as well. So uh, great to have you Thanks, with John. us and uh, God bless. Thanks. Take care. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at the number 5 points planting, or at our new email address, reformedplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time.